We talk to Vadim Soloto Kryan. We hear about his roots in the former Soviet Union and why he decided to go to Hong Kong. We discuss Hong Kong business culture and opportunities and the coronavirus response there. He told us when he first heard about Bitcoin, it sounded like an alien language to him, and we hear about how he really got into it farther along. We get his thoughts on the recent Bitcoin halving and hear why he's such a big fan of Ethereum and DeFi. We discuss his business development background and what he's trying to achieve with his new venture, Holdax, a burgeoning community-curated crypto knowledge market. To confirm your spot on our next rocket trip to the lunar surface, subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform to The Dark Side of the Hollow Moon. This show is proudly sponsored by Salamantech's point-of-sale devices and software. Tired of all the headaches dealing with cryptocurrency? You don't know what a private key is? You don't want to deal with exchanges? Well, if you're a business and you just want to run your business without thinking about cryptocurrency headaches, look no further than Salamantex. We provide point-of-sale software that allows you to get paid in fiat currency, that's euros, allowing your customers to pay in cryptocurrency, that's BTC, ETH, and a host of others. Dark Side of the Hollow Moon proudly uses the audio services of Eye of the Sound. Beyond the amazing sound production, they've really been a sounding board, pun intended, for our show, giving us great customer support and constructive criticism and feedback. So if you want a little bit more personalized attention you're not going to get from a bigger provider, check out iTheSound.com. All right, and we're back with another episode of Dark Side of the Hollow Moon on Blockade here with Josh. Josh, how are you doing there in Seoul today, or outside of Seoul? Well, everything's fine, to be honest. Uh, I kind of am over this pandemic thing. The lockdown seems to be over, even though there was a new spike in numbers recently because of a gay nightclub in Seoul was still open. And uh, hundreds of people got infected from that. So yeah, I, uh, saw, I saw some of the memes because obviously I used to live in Korea as well, and I saw some pretty spicy memes about that and how it set the uh, movement, how, set that community back fifty years in Korea. But yeah, I'm sick of the uh, lockdowns too. They're starting to open things up here as well. So uh, and we saw Elon going against government orders to open up the Tesla factory. So things seem to be going pretty well on in the world and in the blockchain community as well. And we've got another. Uh, big guests on this lunar mission today. So uh, without further ado, let's introduce our guest. Our guest is Vadim Solotokrayan, who is working with Holdex. Vadim, welcome to the show today. Hi, Josh. Hi, guys. Uh, thank you for inviting me. All right. So, so we are just talking about the coronavirus. So can you tell us uh, where you are right now and what the situation is with the uh, where you are right now with the coronavirus pandemic? Um, I'm in Hong Kong, uh, our company based in Hong Kong, and uh, uh, the pandemic uh, passed by me because I was like every day, almost every day coming to the office. Uh, we never had any 
physical lockdowns in the city. We just had like some uh, gathering limits, like up to uh, four people as a group. Uh, so basically, I was coming every day to the office right now. I'm not even wearing the mask anymore for the, a week. We don't have uh, new cases for a few weeks in Hong Kong. So I feel like it's uh, hopefully it's the end. Nice. You were just you were just you were just sheltering in place and doing crypto just like normal. That's that's nice. Yeah, yeah, correct. That's nice. That's interesting. Um, and we first met in Singapore, I think. We met in like the line of going into a nightclub after consensus and we had a yes. quick chat. Um and I just interviewed Manny, which is one of your employees, uh, who is the Venezuelan episode. He's got an interesting backstory. And we said, Let's do this, let's have the show. And here it is. So a couple of months later, maybe six, seven months after we first met, we're doing the show. Um, why Hong Kong, though? Like, why did you choose to set up business in Hong Kong? That's that's one thing I first on the top of my mind. Why not somewhere else like Singapore or even mm. your home country? And where is your home country? Um, I'm originally from uh, uh, Russia. I'm uh, from St. Petersburg. And uh, I moved to Hong Kong around six years ago. And I moved not because of the blockchain, I moved because I was looking for uh, a warmer place to live with a, a bigger economy, um, more fast-paced uh, uh, lifestyle and uh, um, work environment. I was looking to go into the to the Moscow, but then I decided that uh, if I'm moving, I'd, I'd rather move somewhere completely new, so go out of my comfort zone. So me and my wife, we moved to Hong Kong, and then I was working for the uh, e-commerce company for the Chinese e-commerce company, and then uh, move into the uh, blockchain space. Short nice. after that, and Hong nice. Kong is a great place for doing business. Uh, not so good maybe for crypto as the other countries like Singapore, maybe like Estonia, Lithuania, UK, US. But it's still really easy to do business here. Like uh, easy to open the company, easy to manage the company. It's not so uh, bureaucratic, so it's it's a nice place to run a business. Nice. Like, yeah. Well, we talked about how we interviewed Manny. He's got an interesting backstory. So let's get a little bit more into your backstory. So besides where you're from, can you tell us like where you grew up, what you were like as a kid, what your interests were, mm-hmm. and kind of give us a little backstory um, about yourself before you moved to uh, Hong Kong? All right. So... The story starts in 1988 in Soviet Union times. <laughs> so I was born in Soviet Union in uh, Kazakhstan. Uh, I'm Russian ethnically, but uh, I was born in Almaty. It was the capital of Kazakhstan. And uh, then um, uh, my parents and uh, myself uh, were moved to uh, Russia uh, when I was 11 years old. Um, I, I studied in Russia. I studied in the normal school. Then um, I went to the Technical University, University of uh, Telecommunications, um, uh, the Bonj Burievich University uh, uh, of Telecommunications. And uh, I, I did Master's of uh, uh, Computer Science there. And then uh, I've done Master's uh, later on in uh, Economics and another uh, university also in St. Petersburg. Um, I worked uh, my first job, my first, let's say, uh, career-oriented job was in the startup. And this is when the first time I uh, heard about the Bitcoin. It was in 2008, uh, 11. Uh, but uh, uh, one of my actually bosses, my my first mentors, he was already 
into Bitcoin those early stage. And he was uh, telling me something, but I was not understanding at all. I was like literally like not not un- understanding nothing from it. it was like an, an alien language. Uh, so I didn't really perceive it. I didn't even even like uh, uh, try to discover or explore what is the uh, Bitcoin. And it was in, in 2011. This is the first time I heard about the blockchain. And I just came back to the blockchain in uh, uh, 2016, in the end of 2016, when um, one of the uh, founders uh, of the uh, project called Music Coin, which was uh, which is the the fork of the Ethereum uh, protocol, uh, Isaac Mao. Uh, he approached uh, the startup I was working for and uh, asked us to develop the uh, front-end application for his uh, blockchain, for his cryptocurrency, which is a, a music coin. And uh, that's how I got introduced to the blockchain as a technology. And then uh, the 2017 started with the hype around the um, initial coin offering. And then I started getting more into the into blockchain. And then I decided to stay in the space. So that's my journey to the blockchain. Okay. So I, I looked it up. So is music coin, is that, was that for like music streaming? Was that the idea of this uh, fork? Uh, yes, correct. Uh, the, the, the idea of the service is to help musicians to uh, find their audience because the, um, the problem with the current applications, let's say like a Spotify, uh, what I heard from the musicians because I, I before my, my own startup before Holix, I worked for the uh, company which was developing software for the music industry. Uh, the problem with the Spotify is that the most of the um, let's say views and, and m- most of the plays of the songs are basically uh, uh, belongs to uh, top uh, 10% of the artists. So really, um, let's say small artists don't really get attention, enough attention, and they cannot earn at all, so they cannot sustain, they cannot be professional, right? So they're taking it very easy. And once they sign up with the uh, managers, with the records, the records basically take uh, most of the revenues. So the, the unless you are like the, let's say, a, a top, uh, uh, I don't know, 50 MTV or whatever is now currently the most popular music channel, artist you are not going to earn much and uh, you need to somehow stay maintained so this is the idea of the project is basically peer-to-peer payments from the listeners to the musicians directly yeah Yeah. that's a that's a big problem in the music industry and it has been for a long time you could go back to the beatles in the 60s and they had the exact same problem they had uh like about two pence in every pound went to the Beatles mm-hmm. in, and the rest went to their management company. Same for TLC. Remember that like rap group back in the nineties? Um, they were selling like multi-million uh, albums and um, they went platinum loads of times. But Like they famously once basically threw their management team under the bus live on stage for saying, look, we ain't getting any, enough money. So it, that's a it's a long existing problem in the music industry, and um, I've seen a couple of services that try to solve this problem. But again, it's pretty difficult to break the let's say monopoly of the big uh, content providers like YouTube, Spotify, and, and others. Anyway, um, yeah, what I'd, like to, what I'd like to talk about next is um, well, actually, go back to the Soviet Union times a little bit because that's. 
that's really something fascinating for a lot of people um, that didn't grow up in the Soviet Union, but we've had on a lot of guests that were former Soviet Union uh, uh, countries that they grew up in too. And that time must have been a very interesting time to be, um, well, to be born and to be alive, to witness the change from socialism to capitalism and and what what are your thoughts on on uh, socialism and and what are your thoughts on capitalism and it's a bit political but you know we this is a podcast we can talk about whatever we want yeah. <laughs> okay uh i'll give my perspective purely from the let's say uh, so uh, socially economical perspective right not, not that much political i think the uh politicians do their own job and uh like uh, there are different frameworks like in management you, you there is no good and bad it depends who is managing right uh, the, the the framework or the leaders uh, so um uh obviously i was very little to witness the 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 let's say the bloom of the soviet union times because i was born only in 88 uh and uh, uh, three years later the soviet union failed and i was like very little i was not recognizing realizing these things uh, but uh, what I see, what, what I see pretty interesting, like maybe you guys also have noticed, like there are a lot of um, uh, founders and a lot of uh, uh, companies um, with a big uh, 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 share of employees where uh, the people are from uh, post-Soviet Union countries. And uh, even my, let's say, um, ex-boss with whom we started discovering the blockchain, he was like, why all the like blockchain guys on the conference, like most of them are Russian or Russian speaking at least. And uh, um, that was a kind of pretty interesting question. And I was also thinking about that. And I'm, I'm thinking like maybe like those people who actually experience socialism, they they grasp the idea of the blockchain much faster because the original, let's say, um, I mean, it's combination, right? Like, uh, for example, the, the, the more you basically mine, uh, the more you earn, but at the same time, it's... Uh, uh pretty fair so you don't have an advantage in the, with the original like say uh, bitcoin uh, algorithm so uh proof of uh, uh stake algorithms you don't really have an advantage of uh, uh, uh let's say it's, it's pretty socialist meaning the everyone have an opportunity equal opportunity to start and uh, uh no one is discriminated so that's kind of like pretty such socialistic view from the uh, social structuring and uh, um, managing uh, people perspective. So I think uh, that's why maybe uh, people from post-Soviet Union countries, they kind of got the idea straight, straight away. Uh, what and about also the decentralized yeah. part too, I would say. Like the, the decentralized yeah. part is very important. Um, unlike the Soviet Union, where all of the decisions were made in the Politburo, um and sure. often the information and decision making uh, powers that they had was well let's say imperfect let's be polite about it um whereas in blockchain it's decentralized all of it there's there's no central authority that's deciding what happens so maybe from an intuitive perspective um people in the former soviet union countries just can grasp that immediately yeah, that's true. That's also a good point. And uh, about capitalism, I think it's um, just uh, another paradigm. And uh, for example, I'm living in Hong Kong, and uh, it's a very capitalistic country. But though they still uh, 
maintain pretty good um, uh, services for uh, just the social services for the people, like the infrastructure is really nice here, everything. But of course, you uh, um, sometimes you hit uh, the ceiling and you can see that uh, like the, the more money you have, the more power you have, the more access you have to the different uh, type of, let's say, services, including the banking, for example. The banking here is like for, let's say, average people, I think it's um, really, really, really behind. You still need to go to banking. Just recently, they started doing some changes introducing uh, digital banking but uh, uh i came from uh when i came from russia where we already have all this like mobile banking you could do the like free transfers uh cash out in the atm without the any commission so on you just come in, in, in hong kong and that's what i was oh, like, really surprised and it's pretty characteristic right that's interesting i didn't know that about the banks in hong kong i thought they'd be ahead of everywhere else so that actually m- makes me want to ask you where do you think crypto is going to take 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 on the banks first do you think it's going to be in first world countries like hong kong and singapore or do you think it's going to be more in third in developing countries like like uh, laos or vietnam or or myanmar or someplace like that sure i think it's going to take off in both places and i think it's already taken off but it's a very different uh, services provided so for example in hong kong the cryptocurrency is uh, uh prohibited so you cannot really trade or uh, I mean, you, you cannot uh, provide services for the um, non, uh, uh, non, non, uh, uh, non professional investors. And uh, you cannot, uh, let's say, do, do the provide the retail services for the uh, um, average people unless it's uh, under a very small amount of like around, I, I think it's uh, 200, uh, 2000, uh, uh, something like that around Hong Kong dollars per month, uh, which is a little bit more than uh, 200 US dollars. Um, and, uh, but in Hong Kong, for example, you have a lot of big like uh, OTC services for the professional investors and traders. So this is very well developed. You have a, a pretty big uh, exchanges uh, established in Hong Kong, but again, they're for mainly targeting professional investors or the retail people outside of Hong Kong. While in some can other you, countries... Can you remember the kimchi premium days? Um, back when the Korean uh, price had such a massive distortion compared with the, the rest of the world. So you used to have flights from Korea to Hong Kong running all the time, full of full of crypto traders basically buying OTC in Hong Kong to then sell on Korean exchanges because the arbitrage was massive. Like people would be going around the, around the corners, um, almost like a bank run, so to speak, to get... Um, B- OTC, BTC. We, uh, did you ever see that, or um, was that just uh, a crazy? I just know like, that uh, there are a lot of conferences in Hong Kong happening, and lots of people are coming. Oh. And actually, most of the exhibitors are OTCs and uh, big uh, funds and uh, big exchanges uh, and yeah, OTC desks basically, and which are based in Hong Kong. You can see a lot of people coming here to do some uh, businesses. But again, if you are like a small business and you're targeting retail. Uh, you you hardly being able to open a bank account in, in Hong Kong. It's easy to open a company. You just come and like uh, file the application and do it through the agency. And uh, within a few weeks, uh, I think one max uh, one month maximum you got the uh, entity. But then you need a banking, and then that's a problem. 
So Vadim, a lot of people are actually really interested in setting up a business. A lot of people don't know how easy it is to set up a business in the UK. Just for an example, it takes less than eight hours. It's less than $200. You don't need to be a resident. You get a UK bank account. Um, but a lot of people internationally think Hong Kong and places like Singapore are so-called the best places to do uh, business. Can you explain how... Um, that works. Um, how can you set up a business in Hong Kong? I'm sure a lot of people are interested in how it works. Sure. Uh, in my experience, setting up the company in Hong Kong is, uh, was pretty easy, um, except uh, setting up the banking. The opening, the registering the legal entity is uh, very straightforward like anywhere else. You just fill in very simple form and uh, you got your company being registered in a few days if you go with the express service or uh, in a week if you uh, go with a, a normal service. Uh, but the issue is with the banking. Um, I had experienced uh, problems uh, with banking because, for example, I'm uh, a Russian citizen. I'm a holder of Russian passport. And uh, most of the banks rejected me uh, as a uh, rejected my company because I'm the shareholder of the company. They don't want to uh, open accounts for the shareholders who are the residents of uh, certain countries, including um, Russia. But uh, otherwise, it's uh, pretty good. And uh, But I would like also to share the experience uh, because I'm e-resident of the Estonia, right? So I find out this uh, e-residency thing with Estonia, and it's like super amazing and super fast. I don't know, guys, if, if you have uh, uh, heard about it, but basically you can... Uh, uh, become so-called e-resident. Um, it doesn't give you any uh, permissions to stay in the country or leave or enter. It's not a visa itself. But what it gives you, it gives you the opportunity to access all the digital services that the Estonian government provides for their uh, citizens. So basically, you can open the company online. You can uh, uh, open a bank account online. You can make make business, basically, outside of the country, as you mentioned, uh, Josh, like in England, uh, but I don't know like how it works uh, with England, uh, but uh, with Estonia, it's like super easy and super fast. So I would recommend yeah. if someone basically goes into the crypto, it's probably, uh, unless they already have like a big, uh, let's say, backup and a lot of cash, they, they should go there just as startuppers, startups, small companies uh, go somewhere in uh, uh, crypto uh, friendly countries like uh, Estonia. Yeah, Estonia is pretty crypto friendly. And that e-residency thing um, has been around for a while. And people have often talked about it. Now, this is before I was really super involved in crypto. Um, I was involved in the digital nomad scene. And a lot of people were talking about that back in like 2010, um, about being a really good option for people that work predominantly online and i know that basically crypto is an online only business for the most part apart from some conferences and perhaps some business travel that you have to do so it makes sense it's pretty cool all right so we've covered a, a lot of interesting stuff so far about business setup and your backstory mm, kate i think you've got a few questions that yeah you want to transition into Def next Definitely, it was some crypto questions. So, actually, recently the Bitcoin having recently happened. So, I wondered what you, if you had any thoughts on the Bitcoin having. Uh, yeah, my thoughts are that the price is going to definitely uh, go up 
All right. The question is, uh, uh, what would be the uh, the spread? Uh, but I'm pretty positive about Bitcoin. But uh, to be honest, I'm uh, I, I'm really thankful to Satoshi Nakamoto, right, for the for starting the whole thing. But uh, I'm more uh, like I'm more into the currencies uh, which uh, uh, which support the smart contracts. I know that the Bitcoin itself also. You you can you can uh, write smart contracts, but it's more like hackarounds rather than as, as something native. So I'm more like Ethereum guy. Okay, so that was actually my next <laughs> question. So besides Bitcoin, like, or of all the things in the crypto space, what are you most excited about? So are you really into Ethereum? Are you into decentralized finance? Do you like? uh maybe something like uh ethereum competitor like cardano like what what excites you the most in the crypto space and what do you think is going to be really big in 2020 mm -hmm. uh I, I really respect uh the let's say ethereum competitors it's a great stuff because you need to have a competition as we know as the history shows right and, and uh, uh the overall human experience you need to have competitors to keep moving and uh, build a better product uh but i think sometimes it's un 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 unnecessary to let's say to discover uh the other competitors unless uh, unless you're building something like uh enterprise related blockchains like empowering let's say transactions of uh visa and master where you need like a real time uh uh transactions uh, th that's cool and you already have uh, uh xrp you you already have uh, players who who are doing this right but I'm talking more about like uh, people, kind of people blockchain, right? Which is Ethereum, like open source, people like contributing a lot, people building their own apps. You don't need to have a, it's permissionless. You want, you you, beat, uh, you, you build your app, right? You don't need to ask permission. So being registered in, in some kind of like centralized ledger, even the technology itself is decentralized. But again, you have a gateway where you need to uh, register to be a member of this. So. I would say that the Ethereum already provides the platform to build uh, an apps. Like, for example, I'm really excited about the Compound Network, uh, Zero X uh, Marketplace, Zero X uh, Exchange. I think those guys are doing very well uh, by providing us the uh, like the the first cases and uh, the pretty good uh, uh, protocols to build the marketplaces or to build the financial products. So I can see a lot of uh, new dApps uh, because we are empowering the uh, marketplace uh, for those uh, players. We can see that a lot of new, uh, really cool um, DeFi applications uh, appear. Like for example, like right now uh, you can uh, uh, have a zero loss lottery. Uh, I have never heard about that before, right? Before the blockchain, zero loss lottery. Basically, you you, you stake your assets if you hold any. Doesn't matter how much you have, right? And then uh, you you might uh, be a winner of the lottery, and uh, but the point here you, you you never lose. So I think this is the use cases which were not uh, available before the blockchain. So this is something really cool. Yeah, we we've had a lot of DeFi guests on talking about uh, R Dai and Dai compound interest, all kinds of smart contracts and um, different markets where you can place bets and do really cool things like. This uh, zero loss lottery, which I'll have to look into. I've actually never heard that. Every every day, it seems like I hear something new in the DeFi space. That's really cool. And actually, July 30th is the fifth anniversary of Ethereum 1.0. And they've got the Ethereum 2.0 
upgrade coming pretty soon. So that's pretty, pretty exciting. So is that kind of why you got back into crypto? You, you said you heard about Bitcoin really early on and then you took a few years off and then a few years ago you got back into it. So why mm -hmm. did you get into it? Did you get into it because... You know, you have maybe a programming background. Were you like, because you th saw a business opportunity, a way to make money? Was it just really interesting, a way to change the world? Like everyone has different reasons why they get into crypto. So why did you mm -hmm. get into crypto a few years ago and why are you still here? Was it exciting to make money, change the world, a little bit of all three? Like why did, why did you get into crypto and stay here? Mm -hmm. I think it's more a little bit of all three. Uh, I, I'm pretty entrepreneurial. I had the different ventures. Uh, some of them were more successful. Some of them were less successful. But uh, I never started something just because of the uh, potential uh, profits or revenues. Uh, because I find it, uh, that's not what motivates me. The the uh, my main motivator is like if I'm having a real problem and I'm trying to solve it. And if I see, let's say, uh, while I'm solving this problem, actually uh, many other people. Uh, uh, have the same issue it really actually motivates me a lot and i'm um, thinking okay it's a great opportunity also to make a business there so this was the case for the crypto uh when uh, we were hired to develop this uh, uh front-end applications uh i, I started traveling around uh, asia going to the different blockchain application uh, conferences and i realized that so many startups were looking for funds right and, and trying to do an ico but what is an ico ico is like a type of Kickstarter program, right? Which, le which lets you crowdfund, right? If we simplify. Um, and uh, uh, me being a startup for more than 10 years, I always had a problem of uh, fundraising, right? Fundraising is really complex pro uh, process. And if you're a product guy, and I'm more like a product guy, uh, you need to uh, drop everything, drop your backlog, drop drop your let's say product team. Uh, I mean attention to the product team and start focusing more on uh, selling and selling not to your potential customers, selling to someone who might buy your stock, which is like really abstract from the product itself, right? You have like a different financial models you need to build. You need to uh, prove that your business might be successful in in five years, but you never know, right? You never you never know in the startup what's going to happen. Especially in crypto, you never know what's going to happen even like next month. I mean, now maybe it's a little bit more predictable, but before in those like 2017, you, you, don't, you don't even understand, right? You just see like it's skyrocketing, but when it's going to drop, you know that it's going to drop, you never know. So we started building this platform, which helped uh, others to issue the token and distribute it. And we act as a software provider. So we were non-custody solution. Uh, we never hold anyone's funds or uh, facilitated directly the sale itself, but to help people to uh, distribute the tokens. And uh, uh, we've done it, uh, I think, pretty successful. Uh, we had uh, dozens of customers using our software before the ICO uh, hype uh, finished. But we helped startups. We solved a few problems. Nice, nice. Well, yeah, fundraising is definitely hard. If you think fundraising is hard in Hong Kong, you should try fundraising on the dark side of the hot moon. It's even harder. But uh, <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of people want to want to solve problems. And uh, I kind of want to hear what problems are you trying to solve with uh, your new venture, Holdax? It sounds like it's some sort of crypto community or a way to some sort of crypto market. So what is the problem you're trying to solve and, and how are you going about solving this problem? 
First, I'll tell you a quick story about how we uh, discovered this problem. Problem. So, uh, as I mentioned, 2017 we started as a software provider for a token distribution, and um, uh, when we were helping uh, customers deploy the uh, this solution, we uh, later realized that once the people have the software, they need uh, customers, they need users to to talk to to. Uh, sell to and uh, we started thinking like how can we actually help those people and we even had a few attempts uh, to um, to bring the community but then we just realized that the community on the other side might not be uh, that interested into a particular uh, product and into the customer you're helping to and uh, uh, we started thinking like what what, what actually the, the problem of the end user like not what is the problem of the person who is trying to push the token to the market, but what is the problem of the potential consumers? And we realized that the space is so new, uh, the space is so um, uh, um, very not standardized. That there are no uh, uh, the community is very dispersed. Uh, there is a very specific, uh, very very uh, many specifics around the. Um, the technology itself, but all the platforms which gather the communities, they, they are very like old, old style, like uh, Web 02 type of uh, platforms where you cannot really uh, engage with the blockchain technology itself, right? You can hang out, you can chat, but you cannot uh, uh, transact. Uh, and uh, we started building this platform, which is a community curated marketplace where anyone can uh, uh, discover and experience blockchain applications. So, which means you as an end user, you can come and uh, learn about uh, cryptocurrencies or about the applications, DeFi, games, uh, D-games, whatever is your taste. Uh, You can learn, you can ask questions, you can talk to the other users. And if you feel like you are interested in a particular project, you can uh, actually, start uh, using the application straight away on our platform uh, because our platform is uh, also a dap itself okay that's interesting so it's like a place you can go for like crypto education but then you can also start using products on there as well is that correct yes it's correct interesting josh what do you think well, I've got a few. I've got a few questions, and it's about um, the amount of users that you currently have. Like, do you have a lot of users, and um, approximately how many people are on the platform at the moment? Sure, it's a good question. Uh, we don't have that much users as we want to have uh, because we just released this uh, product uh, uh, less than uh, three months ago. I mean, the community created marketplace. Uh, we have thousands of uh, uh, active users uh, monthly, uh, but we are growing uh, weekly around like 15 to 30 percent, depends on the week, our weekly growth right now of the user base. So we are hoping that very soon we are going to have uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, active users per month. Okay. All right. Cool. And how large is your team? I know that there's many and yourself and perhaps your wife, but do you have any other members of, uh, on, of, on your team? Or how many staff members have you got in your Hong Kong office or are they distributed around the world? 
we have uh, two offices, one office in, in Hong Kong and another office in uh, Chisinau in uh, uh, Moldova. So we are three co-founders originally and uh, like we are three in the Hong Kong and we have four people in uh, Moldova. And, oh, okay, uh, nice. I can talk, Moldova. Yeah. yeah. I'd love, I'd love to team. find out more about Moldova. I've never yeah. actually been or heard very much about Moldova in a business context. What's it like in in uh, Moldova doing business there? And is it just because one of the co-founders is from there originally and that's why it's there out of convenience? Or is there any strategic advantage to being in Moldova? Yeah, one of our co-founders and uh, our my, most of the product team is uh, in Moldova. Moldova is a very nice country, actually. I have been the uh, previous year and uh, it, it, it's very nice. It's uh, nice people, nice weather. Uh, most of the people speak Russian, so I felt like I'm back home uh, almost. And uh, our team is pretty international. We have like uh, uh, Italian, we have um, uh, many, as you know, like, from Venezuela, uh, guys from Moldova. We have an uh, advisor from England, uh, advisor from uh, China. So it's very multicultural. Nice. And I like, um, the advisor thing, like in 2017, a lot of people were advisors on cryptocurrency projects. Um, like how much tangible advice do you really get from advisors? Do you think that having a, an advisor is something um, valuable in 2020? Um, and how have advisors kind of changed? Because I'm sure the, the advice in 2017 was do an ICO and here's how to do it. But what type of advice do you receive? Uh, mm -hmm. in the current climate sure we are product uh, driven and uh, our product yeah product driven team meaning like uh, whatever we do uh we start with the product not with advisors right we're like advisors driven team like you said in, in ICO, we have advisors and that's why you need to let's say use our product in our case it's very different our advisors are uh we don't have many advisors but all of the advisors have a hands-on uh some of the advisors uh, one of the advisor uh, advisors on the technology side and it's uh, isaac uh, mao the founder of this uh, music coin that's how i met him and then we started collaborating and working together another advisor is uh, adam vaziri he's a ceo and co-founder of the block pass and the block is block pass is our uh, early investor and this is a decentralized uh, applications for identity so we are actually integrated with them and we're using them uh and uh yeah so all our advisors are hands-on advisors all right that's good and so the block pass is like is it kind of like a civic type of thing where you you identify with your biometrics and then that's on the blockchain verify your yeah, identity you can, you, you can say that the civic uh, and the block pass are in the same space and they are competitors yeah but in my personal experience block pass is much easier to use it's much more simple. Yeah, well, of course it is. And um, <laughs> and what's it like receiving uh, investment? So, how did you first pitch for investment, and what type of numbers were you asking for? Or is was it a private only investment, or did you did you try and even think about your own ICO at, at one point? So, how did you end up raising funds for your business? Um, the it, it was by luck. Uh, our like uh, Blockpass was our one of our first customers, 
And then uh, they just offered us and we said, yeah, why not? <laughs> so we were not really like looking for the investment. You know, like, so honestly, I, 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 I don't, I didn't really believe that much in the success of the fundraising. Knowing my previous attempts on fundraising, I was like, I, I'd rather build something and spend time on building rather than uh, fundraising and uh, most likely not being able to fundraise. I'd rather bet than and take a chance on building something and selling and solving the problem. Right. So very, very heavily product focused and then looking for a good product market fit. And then the user, if you build it, the users will come to you. And then if the users come, then after that, the money comes. So what is the actual um, way that Holdex is monetized? Like where is the, where's the value add for the users and how do you like capture some of that value into and convert it into profit? How do you monetize some of that value? Mm-hmm. Uh, the core value of our platform is uh, connecting uh, the different parties of the market. So, for example, retail users with the uh, retail services, uh, uh, business users with the uh, business uh, service providers. So this is our main value. And uh, as you can imagine, when you uh, run a marketplace, uh, you would charge the commission on the successful deals. So that's our main monetization model. So it's uh, it's a hybrid between the uh, transactional business model and advertising business model. Nice. Well, uh, if that sounds like a really good value added proposition, and I was just uh, um, looking around on the website a little bit, I really like the the explore function with the little uh, rocket ship logo. And actually, it's pretty well. Uh, it's got a lot of information on it already. I was just typing in some projects it's got like lesser known projects i was typing in grin beam all kinds of projects and you seem to have little write-ups in almost every one so that's definitely good i think i think it's definitely good for people that are new to getting into the crypto space they don't know a lot about it they can just go into the search bar and find out about some projects which maybe would help with your growth so i think that's uh, a good a good start right there for future growth for holdex yeah and like let's uh Let's be honest, the dark side of the Hoddle Moon is a podcast. It's also a business and it has aspirations to grow. So we could become a, um, a crypto business that's on your platform. How could you help a business like us? Like who could you connect us to and how could you help our podcast grow and who, who would you be able to, um, introduce us to? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great use case actually, right? Because you're one of the players of the market. So the market has a different uh, players uh, from, let's say, end users who buy things uh, to more professional users who, let's say, for example, trade things and uh, uh, make it as a the, uh, job activity, daily job activity. There are news media, and uh, I guess you guys under this category, news media. So uh, we definitely can help you and uh, uh, less on the transactional uh, kind of arrangement, but. Uh, would be interested to have you interviewing our projects and maybe creating awareness for uh, the projects uh, we support and uh, we personally believe in. So we would be grateful if you guys can interview them and give some them some a little boost and some a little bit more of the exposure. Yeah, that sounds like a good fit for us. We could get some of the projects that you've already vetted and kind of can vouch for in terms of their legitimacy. 
and then yeah. you could connect us to them and we can start to interview them. That would be really cool. Yeah, I think and, that's a really important thing, like what Josh said is that there are still a lot of scams in this space. So that's one value add that Holdax or other companies can do is vet projects. So they're not selling vaporware or projects or tokens that don't exist or don't do anything, that's for sure. We actually release next week officially. Right now it's in the closed alpha, but we're releasing uh, Holdex Partners program. So what is that? It's a it's a program where we uh, uh, collect applications from the projects and we do the certain uh, due diligence on them, verification on the background of the team, on the technology, on the state of the cryptocurrency, if they have any tokens. And uh, if they pass our criteria, they becoming our official partner, and we give them additional boost and exposure. So uh, this way our users as well can rely on this quality badge, which will be displayed next to the verified uh, profiles of the projects. And uh, that will give them additional uh, insurance that the projects at least are validated on a certain level. Of course, we cannot take a little disclaimer. We cannot like uh, take complete uh, responsibility for whatever those projects will do in the future. But at least at this point of time we will be able to validate them yeah i mean at least you've done at least you've done some sort of basic check i mean just recently there's a canadian exchange that like all the funds disappeared and they were pretty well vetted so yeah you can't there's no guarantees in life there's no guarantees in the crypto space but a vetting will go a long way that's for sure well uh well that was pretty interesting josh i don't really have any more questions do you have any more questions for vadimer about holdax or should we just give him the last word today well, the last question for me will be, when are you coming to South Korea? Are you going to be in um, Blockchain Week, Seoul? It's been pushed back, I think, to November. Are you going to come over to South Korea? And if you are, then let's have uh, some, To be honest, I can't sound, wait to start traveling together. because I used to travel pretty often. Uh, but right now with the pandemic, um, all the flights, most of the flights and uh, destinations are, are cancelled. So I'm looking forward to... Uh, start traveling and definitely I'll be visiting uh, South Korea and uh, visiting all the major blockchain events and we can have a, a deep fried chicken with you, Josh. <laughs> I miss deep fried South Korean oh, chicken. Good. It's nice. <laughs> okay. All right. Nice. Good. All right. So I'm looking forward to that. So thanks for coming on the show today. It's been really good to talk to you and find out more about your background and discover more about um, your company. Cade, I think that you can do your signature sign-off and then... Yeah, well, we'll before we do that, before we do that, um, I'll give Vadim the last word. Is there anything else you want to mention? We'll put uh, all the context of Holdax and you in the show notes, your website, Twitter, whatever, but we'll just give you the last word and then we'll wrap it up today. Sure. First of all, thank you very much, Cade and Josh. Uh, thank you for inviting me and letting me be a part of this uh, show. Uh, I think you guys are doing very well and uh, wish you success. And uh, uh, it's great that you are doing this because uh, we need more exposure and more, more people uh, learning about the cryptocurrencies. So I wish you luck to go big. And uh, as for the holdings, we are very welcoming any projects. We don't discriminate by size or by uh, nationalities. So we're welcome, welcoming everyone to join our marketplace and we will do our best to uh, bring the value and connect uh, the projects with the, their potential audience. But yeah, just well, make sure are- you're legit projects. 
Yeah, well, the dark side of the hot moon is about as legit as it gets. Well, we appreciate that you wish we're going to go big. Um, as for us, we're going to be hodling for Holdax, and hopefully you guys do big things in 2020. And that'll do it for us on the lunar surface, on the dark side of oh, the hodl moon. Thank you for joining us on Dark Side of the Hoddle Moon. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Also, be sure to join our Telegram group, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and follow us on BitChute and YouTube where you can find all the episodes as well as highlights from previous episodes. You can also visit us at darksideofthehoddlemoon.com. Hoddle Moon!